last words are very important. And it's good for the church sometimes to go through the Gospels and the first chapter of Acts to see what the last words of Jesus were to his church because they are the things that determine what the heart of God is for the age of the church. And so this morning I'm going to share with you my last words. But before I do, I want to thank all of those for the last 18 years we've been in this assembly, all those that we've connected with. Sally and I want to say thank you. Thank you for your friendship, for your fellowship, for the times of fun I know our house groups had, for your love, for your encouragement. You have been a blessing to us. And we've been enriched by so many of you. And so we just want to bless you in the name of the Lord. This morning I want to speak from Luke chapter 12 and verses 35 to 48. And I'm reading this morning, if you've got your Bibles, you can take them out. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. And what I want to do is then unpack this passage of Scripture verse by verse this morning. So, Luke 12:35. Be dressed in readiness, and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces 
and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. This is a rather sobering passage of scripture. But it's also a very exciting one. The theme is this, Jesus is coming back for his people. And the passage is telling us the qualities and the attributes of those that he's coming for. So it's a passage that demands our attention and it demands our action. We would do well to do a self-due diligence to make sure that we measure up because if we miss some of these qualities it could affect our eternity. So I want us to look at Luke 12.35 and I've put it up in several different translations so that you can see what Jesus was trying to get across to us as church. And the thing that comes to me is this, that Jesus is saying these things to the church that is going to be around at his appearing because it's very possible that church will not have these qualities. And so he's coming to us with a pleading this morning. And you'll see in the NASB it says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Uh, the New Complete Jewish Bible says, Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. And the most accurate of all comes from the New King James and Kenneth Woost. See to it that your garments are fastened about yourself with a belt and the lamps that they are burning continually or constantly. We know in the Lord's day a man wore his garments down to his ankle. But when a man was going to be involved in strenuous work or in some athletic adventure where he needed to run and move quickly or if he was going into battle, he would gather his garments up and put them under a belt round his waist so that there was nothing that would hinder his movement. He would be free to be able to move at any time. And the Lord is saying to us, he's advising us, church, that when we see the signs of his coming approaching, that we be ready, that we be prepared, that we be diligent, that we be organised, that we be alert. And above all, he's saying to us, don't allow anything to enter your life. I must not allow anything to enter my life that will allow me to be tripped up. I need to make sure that there's nothing in my life, in your life, that will hamper our God walk. In Luke 12:57, he says this, 
You know how to analyse the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not analyse the present time? It's vitally important, church, that for believers today to know the times that we are living in. In Matthew 16, chapter two, verse 2, it says, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? Just as there were clear indicators in Jesus' day of what God was doing, so there will be very clear indicators when his appearing is drawing near. As those who are his, he expects us to be alert and aware of the season that we're living in. Just as we can discern natural phenomena, so as those who have been made alive spiritually, we should be recognising the spiritual signs of our day. We have to be like that appliance that's on standby, that can respond instantaneously at the press of a switch. As believers, we have to live on two levels, the natural, physical level and the spiritual level. When it comes to the natural, physical level, it's very important that we carry out and carry on with the daily necessities of life. That's right and that's wise. But we're also on a spiritual level. And when it comes to the spiritual level, we have to be alert to the spiritual season that we are in. And we have to be ready to respond to God's program for our day. And this second area demands our fullest spiritual attention. The picture scripture gives us is of a worker, an athlete or a warrior who are dressed for immediate action. And the time in which we live, church, is not a time to be caught up with secondary issues. It's not a time for apathy. It's not a time for fear. Psalm 37 gives us the kind of attitude we need to be having. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious towards the wrong. That's very easy today. I get news from all around the world. Evil is blatantly out in the open today. Is that not right? What some of the things my grandkids are being taught at school when it comes to moral issues are evil and that's why we want to go back and have an input into their lives but he's saying to us in the scripture don't fret we are on the right side and God's going to deal with the evildoer look at this verse 2 for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb trust in the Lord do good, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, 
and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Look at the positive affirmations God's calling his church to do. We are to trust in the Lord. We are to do good. We are to cultivate faithfulness. We are to delight ourselves in the Lord. We are to commit our ways to the Lord. We are to trust in the Lord. We are to rest in the Lord. We are to wait patiently for the Lord and we're not to fret. That's our response to the age in which we live in. It's time for God's people to be ready to respond to the Lord at any moment. Back to Luke 12 and verse 35. Be dressed in readiness. And as we saw some of the other verses, be ready for action. And then he says, and keep your lamps lit. To have our lamps lit means that we are walking in the light. In 1 John 1.7, we read this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It's on the next click, Dale. It won't do it. It's okay. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Beloved, there's a difference between knowing about a person and actually knowing that person. And God wants us to know him out of relationship. He wants, to know, he wants us to know him out of experience. In 1 John 4.13 we read, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. If you have experienced a relationship with Jesus, you will know it, because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Note the word here, abide. This is speaking of intimacy. It's speaking of closeness. It's two persons spending time together. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we read this, and it's very interesting. It was the little song we read. Is it not clicking up? What a pity. We read what is often used as a benediction. I'll read it for you. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If we only understand that verse as a benediction, we, miss, we can miss very profound truth. Normally, when we speak of the Godhead, we speak in terms of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But in this scripture, Paul changes the order, and for very good 
reason. He starts with the grace of the Lord Jesus. And there's a reason for this. If you and I want to experience relationship with God, if we want to know his love, then we must first touch the grace of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And so we have to come under the grace of the Lord Jesus before we can experience the love of God. And the love of God here is that close, intimate relationship that we have. We enter into it very easily by repenting of our sin and confessing Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And the moment you and I do that, something happens in the heavenlies and on the earth, a transaction takes place. God the Holy Spirit baptises you into the body of Christ and you become a member of the church of the living God. That's how you enter the church, by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. There's no other way. And when you do that, you become part of the bride of Christ and the heavenly bridegroom starts loving on you. And that's why Paul put what he did here, the grace, you come under the grace, then you begin to experience what a bride and a bridegroom can experience, the love relationship with God. And that then brings us into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We know the Father and the Son are seated in glory right now. But God on the earth now is God the Holy Spirit. And this is the Spirit that we read in John that God has given to us. And so he desperately wants us to know that he wants to spend time with us. I need to say one thing that's important. You can join a denomination like the Baptists or the Presbyterians or whatever and still not be a member of the Church of the Living God. You need to know that church. It's very important. I have come across so many people that say I'm an Anglican, I'm a Baptist, who were never, ever born again. The way into the church of God is through confession of faith in Jesus Christ. So check that you are really born again. Look at the words that he uses. It's unfortunately not up on the screen, but he uses those words grace, love, fellowship. It's when two people come together that they come to know each other. 2 Peter 3.18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Notice what comes first? Grace. You come under the grace of God and that brings you into the knowledge of God. You have to start under grace. Again and again, Paul says to the church, grace be unto you and peace from our God and Father. And so it's very good for us to ask ourselves this question, how well do I really know Jesus? 
How well do I really know him? Next, the Lord gives us several illustrations of how we should be living in the hour of his return. Luke 12, 36. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. The first requirement is that we are to be waiting for him and then there's to be instant action. And I think that perhaps a good illustration of this is a courting couple. A young man comes to his girlfriend and he says, I want to take you for a meal tonight. And so she spends the afternoon putting her wall paint on. <laughs> and she's making sure she gets rid of every blemish and spot and wrinkle. And she dresses beautifully and she just looks divine. And then what she does is waits expectantly for... And the moment she hears the knock, she goes and opens the door to her boyfriend. That's the kind of attitude, beloved, that God wants from his church. We are to be waiting, ready to work, ready to open the door at the instant that God knocks. So we are to be both waiting and working. Luke 12, 50, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes will find watching. Assuredly I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. To be watching means that we are prepared and organised just like we are when we are expecting guests to our home. The difference is that by having this attitude, the master will cause us to sit down and he himself will wait on us. If this is not a reversal of roles, I don't know what is. You see, one of the purposes for which God created us was he wanted to share fellowship with us. In church, we can become so busy with religiosity and activity and programs that it's possible to miss fellowship. He wanted that. And the first activity that we read of which man forfeited in the garden was daily communion with God. Our God is a relational God. He loves fellowship. He's so blessed by his own loving companionship that he wants to share that with us. And the tragedy of humanity and even of the church is that we keep often rejecting God's offer. Revelation 3.20. It's interesting that Jesus wrote seven letters to the church. Did you know the seven letters by the Lord Jesus in the New Testament? And this is what he writes to his church, not to the world, to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him 
and he with me. Written to the church, it's possible to program God out so that he's standing in the foyer, so that he never really comes into our midst and touches us with his presence. Notice what he wants. He wants not a whole lot of activity. He wants to dine with us. How often when we read the scripture we see Jesus talking about having a meal together. Last week the Fikets asked us to their place and we had lovely fellowship together. That's when you get to know people, when you have hospitality and fellowship together and that's what Jesus is wanting with us. Do you know that in the messianic kingdom one of the things the Lord is preparing for us is a lavish love meal? Isaiah 25, you look at this. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Now, beloved, this is in the kingdom of God. You and I are kept alive by spirit there, not by food. And yet God's still saying you and I are going to have a lavish love meal together. Isn't this interesting? Someone prayed or said something this morning that called me. We've got no idea what's prepared for us in glory. None at all. Here's one of the things. Then he says, notice this, and on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. Do you know there's there's many words, but there's at least three words that are going to summarise the end days. One of them is immorality. Two, lying. Three, deceit. A veil is over the peoples. A veil is over the nations. And we don't realise this. Much of what you hear today is a lie. And as Christians, we need to be very discerning to what we surrender to. Then in verse 8, he will swallow up death for all time. Hallelujah to that. And the Lord will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I can tell you, beloved, this is going to be a banquet spread that's really worth attending. Luke 12, 38. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Jesus is again sounding an alarm to us. And what he's saying is, be watchful, 
Jesus is again emphasising that no one knows when he's coming back. So he's saying, stay on the alert. When he comes is not our concern. It is that we be continually watching out for our master's interests. We just have to have and live in the assurance that he is coming back. Mark chapter 13, 35. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. First Thessalonians 5. They're all saying the same thing. Therefore let us not sleep. Warning, church, don't go to sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Matthew 20. 4, verse 36, this is Jesus speaking again. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Then he says, For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. There's a special blessing on those believers who are waiting, watching, alert and ready for when Jesus comes. Luke 12:40. And there we read, you too be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Then Jesus gives a parable that tells of the reward to the faithful. Luke 12:42. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. First we need to understand the relationships here. They are that of a master and a servant. God is always our master and we all are all just servants and we need to know that. And the responsibility of the servant is to faithfully and sensibly steward his master's affairs. And as our master, he has the right to rule and assess our stewardship. And as God's servants, we are to live to serve his will and carry out his agenda. If we do, then the master will bless us beyond our wildest dreams. But then Jesus gives us a very sobering warning. Again, Luke 12:45. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Notice again the relationship. This is servants beating other servants. Putting it very bluntly, church, there is no place for wrong authority in Jesus' church. We are all part of one body. And one member cannot say to another member, I have no need 
of you. Our place in the body is not an authoritative position. It's a function. It's an enabling to be what part we are. It's a gifting for the good of the body. Yet we've broken this down again and again through church history. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 8. And this is Jesus speaking, not me. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, Christ. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. And the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrust much, of him they will ask all the more. Without going into these verses now in depth, it's enough for us to take them all very seriously. Just three things to note. These are folk who knew the Master's will. Where do we find the Master's will? It's all in there. Nowhere else. It's not in your church constitution. It's in here. It's all in here. And we need church to make sure we know his will and do it. The second thing is exactly that. These are folk who knew the master's will but didn't act upon it. And third thing, to show that God is a God of justice. There are different degrees of punishment. And a final warning for us all. Matthew 12:48b. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrust much, of him they will ask all the more. I look round this church and I would guess that the vast majority of you have been sitting in church all your life. You have learnt, I have not said anything new to you this morning. You know it all. And he's saying to us, we have been entrusted with something. Every believer without excuse in this room has been entrusted with a commission. And I'm going to read it to you because this is the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. And this is what governs this dispensation that we are in. Here it is. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. A witness is somebody who vocalises with knowledge, with experience, a testimony. It's not about being nice people. You have to vocalise it. Jesus uses words like compel them to come in. I could tell you story after story because I'm witnessing all the time in the marketplace. 
I could tell you so many stories. Only just yesterday when I was selling my boat, I was able to speak to a man. The world out there will receive the true Jesus. They're not interested in religiosity. They're often not interested in church, but they are interested in Jesus. And we need to make sure we're witnessing for him. I finish now with six words that characterise, summarise this passage that we have been sharing together. Here they are. We are to be waiting. We are to be watching. We are to be awake. We are to be working. We are to be worthy. We are to be witnessing. Unfortunately, they're not coming up on the screen because I wanted to personalise those. I must be. Could you follow me? See if we can. I'll give you the words. I, let's say it. I must be waiting. I must be watching. I must be awake. I must be working. I must be worthy. I must be witnessing. Romans 13, 11. This ties it all up. Paul says, do this. The six things you confess, do them. Knowing the time that is already the hour for us to waken out of sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. We are to live in this day with a sense of expectancy and imminence that Jesus could come at any time because what is clear, he is coming. And the question everyone needs to ask themselves is this. If he should come this afternoon or tomorrow, will I be ready to go to be with him? And remember, his assessment of us will be perfect and complete and accurate. So what I want to do, church, we're going to have our final song. And this morning, if you are not sure that you would go to be with the Lord when he returns for his bride, then I'm going to come and stand here for a very brief time and I want you to come up and talk to me. In a matter of a few minutes, you can be absolutely certain that you will go to be with him when he comes.